0: Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to The Final Curtain. Ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. I'm Shirley Welsh. Host of Death Cafe Dunedin, where people meet in all sorts of places to drink tea, eat cake, and discuss death. In this program, we break the taboo around talking about death and hear firsthand from New Zealanders about their experiences and their perspectives. So today I'm interviewing Richard, who's been a fireman for over 45 years. Most of us don't experience death very often, but Richard does so almost once a month so Richard what's the effect of experiencing death that frequently on you
1: Shirley as I've said as you've said correctly um, I've been in the job for 46 years and sadly part of our job is dealing with deceased people and uh, at times it has an effect on us and I have just been through what they call pro sorry Post traumatic traumatic syndrome. And this is the result of um, some of the scene incidents that I've been to. It's also something that I have never been able to release um, and it's played on me for a long time. And one of the interesting factors of all this is that I have never enjoyed Christmas. And that's because I. Um, attended a particular accident um, on Christmas Eve uh, many years ago. And uh, the, the ongoing effects of some of these injuries that we receive are um, abuse of alcohol, and I certainly was doing that, uh, change of moods, uh, and again I was doing that. Um, and quite often my children now who, who are um, adults refer back to what I was like at Christmas time and it was not an enjoyable um, time for our family where it should have been so um, when we come across an accident um, we totally focus on what we have to do uh, particularly when we talk about a motor vehicle accident Um, so we actually don't see the people that may have been deceased we certainly see the injured Uh, because our priority is to actually get help to them. Um, The deceased person that we um, treat with dignity and respect, and if there's a lot of public around, we will sheet them so that they're out of sight of of the members of the public that may be watching um, what is happening. So
0: So you said that you've been on extended leave having had... um Post traumatic stress disorder. Was there something that triggered that for you after all these years? Yep.
1: There was something that triggered it. Uh, I had a colleague, a firefighting colleague, that committed suicide, um, and I had uh, been studying suicide uh, prior to his death because we have a new, unique bunch of uh, people within our organisation that keep a, an eye on one another. And we had had a guy in Invercargill who committed suicide um, not long uh, uh, before my colleague committed suicide. So uh, at the time, I was slowly working with him with three other people. Um, We were in constant contact with him. And the night before he committed suicide, I asked him, I'd phoned him, we'd had a long conversation on telephone, and I asked him if he was okay, and he said, everything's all good. The next day, or the next morning, he was found dead. um, And the thing that really hurt me was that he never left a note. And that's typical of people that uh, commit suicide, and what that does, it creates a very vacant hole in your life because you never understand why that person did what they did. Uh, it does has the same effect on, on families as well. So, um, yeah, and, and that will live me, with me for the rest of my life. Uh, I have what, now been taught ways and means how to um, counsel out those triggers, um, and uh, I'm gradually working through that process uh that is helping me get over it so yeah, very very sad occasion it was mm.
0: Now you spoke about an incident that occurred at, at Christmas time That's correct. that was very traumatic and yep. haunts you, so yep. are, are there certain incidents like that, that that reoccur in your memory? Yes
1: there are many incidents um, that reoccur, this particular incident was four teenagers uh, they were in a motor vehicle and they were travelling home from doing their Christmas shopping And they crashed into a power pole, and uh, we turned out to the incident to extricate them, um, and they were all dead. Uh, It's something that has always played on my mind, um, particularly Christmas, because the Christmas presents are in the back of the car. Um, And what a terrible time for the parents of those children uh, they would have had a Christmas Every Christmas like it does with me Would have brought up a memory um, A memory of beloved ones And um, yeah, it's, it's something that has haunted me for a very long time you know, we, we try to hide these things as firefighters um, And it's our, our natural tendency for us to, um, to keep them away and try and push them out of our minds but unfortunately when it's real trauma that's very very difficult to do um, there's been other incidents that I've been to and um, while they are in the back of my mind they don't hit me as hard as um, what this particular one did because of the age of the young ones that were in that car that, That's you know, I had a young family at the time And as firefighters, we're all fear that one day we all come across a family member. So I guess that had a big impact on my feelings towards the whole thing. I was also involved in an incident where a grandfather, a father and a son were killed in an airplane crash. Um, And the majority of small airplanes, when they crash, they generally burst into a ball of flames. And we had to... um, release and package um, the deceased which were in burnt condition um, in preparation for them to be transported to um, a funeral home so you know that sticks with me as well um, but it certainly was the, the four teenagers that that haunt me for quite some time and so.
0: now you've spoken about the way you tr- you treat bodies and you've yep. mentioned covering them with sheets yep. and so on what happens when someone is literally dismembered have you had instances like uh, that that's
1: and a very, how very, do you deal with it yeah it is hard to deal with And very very good question uh, I was invo- involved um, in my days in Invercargill I started in Invercargill my career in Invercargill and we had to uh, we, we turned out to a, uh, an accident in a shunting yard and a guy was run over by a a shunting train and uh, his body was pretty well dismembered. Um, What we do in situations like that is we lay them out um, on a sheet and we get the bits and pieces or the body parts and we put them together as though that person was real. In this case um, we got majority of of the body parts together, the, the torso, um, the limbs, and the head. And unfortunately, the guy's head was um, seriously crushed. But when we put them onto a stretcher, then we put his head on the pillow. You know, it, w- it was, we we'd try and get the, the body back to its originality. Um, and then once we get it there and everyone's satisfied, um, we shoot it up, uh, and then we, um, again, package it for if there's a hearse happens to be there or whether it goes into an ambulance. So, yeah.
0: no, you're a firefighter, yeah. but of course none of this is dealing with fires. So, That's correct. Has the work of a firefighter changed over years?
1: Yes, it certainly has. When I first joined the organisation... Um, Again, in my time in Invercargill, we were um, attending a house fire a week or a house fire a shift, um, mainly because in those days um, a lot of houses had coal ranges, uh, open fires, um, uh, pressed steel ceilings, and press steel ceilings are designed to keep the heat in, um, and you know there was an abundance of coal, which was from the local mine and nightcaps. And uh, what happens is that you get um, what they call pyrolysis, which is the heating of the members in the back of a coal range, uh, wood, the wooden parts, and all of a sudden they burst into flames. You know, um, and away goes the house. A lot of houses in Invercargill at that time were insulated with wheat straw. So you can imagine they burnt pretty readily, um, now, we don't get as many fires because of the advent of um, smoke alarms and we've done a lot of promotional activity, and our focus has now changed. The, the public are very aware of uh, what we do um, as far as uh, rescues, uh, medical events, cardiac arrests, all that sort of thing. So this actually beefed our calls up. Um, and it was a, quite a shock to us when, it, when it, this really took hold because we weren't prepared for it. We, we hadn't trained for it. We, we had defibrillators in our trucks, but they were for the, our guys. Yeah. Um, but that soon changed. We realised that, hang on, we've got these pieces of equipment that we need to carry for the public as well. So now we are more involved, and it's placing a lot of stress on the guys uh, mentally because we have to deal with the... Uh, the victim that has had the cardiac arrest, and if that person is deceased, then we have to deal with the family that's left behind to grieve, and uh, we would never been trained to do that. Um, so it created a lot of problems, a lot of problems to, for particularly the older firefighters, myself included, where we kept saying we're not trained for this. Um, you know, what do we do? And uh, again, that added to our well-being issues, which we already have and uh, now the organisation has recognised that we've got a huge problem and uh, they've got um, systems in place now to help us. Um, So why did this job fall to firefighters? Why did this job? Because we're part of the community, Um, our main, we work under an ethos of three things, the first thing is to save lives The second thing is to save property And the third thing is to carry out humanitarian services Now the saving lives and humanitarian services work together But they cover a whole multitude of things They cover things like flooding you know, um, Disasters of all sorts uh, Medical alerts which we're now taking on And we work um, closely with St John's by that cardiac uh, events you name it, it's there in in those two ethoses. And um, we turn out to anything. You know, just this morning before we before we talked, um, the, away re- the city station guys were away rescuing a cat. You know, that's hum- humanitarian services, so mm-hmm. that's where it all comes from,
0: yeah. So you were saying you hadn't received adequate training for this change mm-hmm. in your role. Mm-hmm. Do you now get training?
1: Yes, we get training, um, but it's it's not what we want. It, it's well, when I say that, it's it's um, it's inadequate. Um, it's for these events, we've got to be constantly at it, um, and uh, it means that we have to look at a whole multitude of things. Um, you, you, heart attacks, knowing what causes heart attacks, knowing how to deal with them that sort of thing, that's the information that we are wanting to get um, and it is coming um, but the, what is sort of holding it up a little bit is that we're under now under another restructure and with restructurings, things start to slow down. Uh, unfortunately we can't slow down with this because our calls are going up and up. So uh, management have, um, senior management, uh, have promised that uh, they're now going to push it more because, again, it's connected to our our um, wellness issue, um, people's well-being, um, and helping people to overcome uh, through understanding of actually what they have to do and what is required is, is what we need. So, yeah.
0: So in the early days, around yeah. about the time, for example, when... Um, you were dealing with the kids in, in the car in the shopping yeah. incident. Yeah. What sort of support did you get then?
1: We didn't get any. And uh, it was, it's quite sad. Um, what we It was a sort of hardened up suck suck-it-and-see type thing. Um, generally, the officers would um, get us home. There would be probably uh, on the truck. Returning home, there would be absolute silence, and that would be the guys and the girls digesting what they've just done, what they've seen. Um, generally, we go, we would go and have a cup of tea. Um, we may talk about it, uh, and when I was in Invercargill, in particular, we had a very, very good officer that I worked under. He would make us compulsory have a cup of tea, compulsory talk, and then he would assess where he was going to go with us and generally if, if it had been quite a traumatic event he would not allow us to do routine duties he would make us keep together relax in the lounge and keep an eye on us that is all now again um, has been recognised as part of the well wellbeing um, issues that we have and again we're seeing major changes in this um, there are debriefings uh, we're very fortunate in Dunedin as we have a brigade chaplain, and he's always called into the station when these incidents happen. And he works with another team, that, uh, that um, peer support team, that um, come in and monitor us and talk to us. And at any time, we can ring our brigade chaplain if um, help is needed. And uh, so the whole scenario from when I started, which is a suck it and see or harden up thing, um, to now has been there has been some major changes, major major changes. So,
0: so in a society today where a lot of people don't follow any particular religion, yep. why is your chaplain viewed with such affection?
1: Uh, Dave Brown has been with us for twenty five years. And uh, he's a really likeable guy. Um, Quite honestly, I can't tell you what religion is. I don't know. (laughs) I've never asked him. Um, I know that uh, he had a parish, um, uh, and he's just recently retired from that. He's tried to retire from the fire service, and the guys have said, no, we need you. And uh, so he's part of our family. He's part of our family. One day he'll have to retire um but we're going to hang on to him because he is such good value Re- and and he knows all about us he's been in the situation where he's married us he's christened our children and he's buried some of our colleagues which he finds too a very very hard job to do um, we recently had a colleague die of um, stomach cancer and uh dave struggled with the funeral and you know the guys get up and stand beside him and help him. So, so yeah, we need him. <laughs> <laughs> what is
0: it about his approach that is so helpful for you?
1: Uh, he's very, very gentle. He's very soft. Uh, he's very accommodating. He he know he asks the right questions, um, and he's got a great feeling of um, what we do and what happens. Quite often, he'll get pushed onto a fire engine, and he'll turn out with us, so he knows exactly. What we do, and and there's been the odd time where we've been um, flat to the boards doing something, and he's been in helping us as well. So he knows how to roll out hose, he knows how to stick bandages on because we've taught him. And these are the sort of people that that make good chaplains um, or welfare people for an organisation like us.
0: Now you've been on leave. Yep for a long time. I have. (laughs) (laughs) And you're now slowly going back to work.
1: That's that's correct.
0: So tell me what it's like slowly going back to work (laughs) and how are you going to deal with it differently when you do go back to work fully?
1: Um, It's very frustrating. Uh, My illness was very frustrating for a start off because I didn't understand um, what was happening to me. However, I've got a very good counsellor and the organisation does not hesitate to get counsellors to um, help us out. One of the processes is that, in in my case, I've been uh, off the floor or off the trucks uh, since May, and as you go through the the process of healing, um, which takes quite considerable time, you start to forget things, um, and you get out of sync with what's going on. So my doctor and my psychiatrist have devised a scheme where it's what they call a gradual process back to work. So I'm currently at the moment um, doing four hours a day, and of those four hours, I do them as the fifth man on the truck. So I sit in the center of I'd be normally four guys on a truck. With me there, I'm the fifth guy. And the first day I did it, I was... Um, I was really confused. Uh, we were called to the hospital. I was at an actual fire in our in our in the computer room in our public hospital and I didn't have a radio, I didn't have a breathing apparatus set and I actually that blew me away because I couldn't hear what was going on so that I could fill in the gaps and the spaces that I should have been doing. So I quickly learnt from that that uh, this is a jolly good scheme. You know, you're just not going to step onto an appliance and do whatever you have to do. So over the uh, since I've been doing it, and that's just after Christmas I started doing this, I have been to um, several motor accidents, I've been to numerous false alarms, and I've been to two lift assists now. What they call lift assist is where we go and help St John's lift people out of awkward places, out of um, particularly if it's a home where there's got a lot of steps, that sort of thing. Um, and we have a special sheet that we, we use to lift people out uh, because it's more flexible um, and we can move them through corridors, passages, uh down wells, that sort of thing. So I've partaken in, in two of those. My counsellor thought that I could dial up a house fire until I explained that that doesn't happen. <laughs> so I haven't had a house fire yet. Um, she's quietly hoping that I do. I'm quietly hoping I'm not. <laughs> but um, the idea is that she's trying to gauge my feelings towards it all. So I keep in contact with her through emailing. So she gets a, a, a report on what I'm doing and how I'm feeling about it. And yeah.
0: Has she given you any techniques or strategies to employ if there's something particularly traumatic or distressing for you?
1: Yep, she certainly has. Um, so, some One technique in particular I, which I actually love, and that's what she calls a safe place, you go to a safe place and, and you don't do this, you, you do this figuratively um, or mentally. So I stop and I think about, and I don't mind sharing my safe place with you, it's Timaru. And why did I t- choose Timaru? Because as a small child I had Christmas holidays in Timaru and I love the place and I always love Timaru. So I think about Timaru. And the other thing that they teach you to do is start deep breathing. And, and I have done a bit of yoga at, in times and one of the things with deep breathing actually relaxes you. Um, In my situation, when I was going through all this trauma and pain, I was continually tense. Deep breathing just relaxes you right down. So if I have something that um, is triggering me, I will stop. I will think of Timuru. I will start deep breathing. And it's amazing, absolutely amazing, how it sort of distracts you from what you're doing, gets yourself organized gets your body and your brain back into process and you just carry on with what you're doing. Yeah, it works really well.
0: If I think of the way in which firefighters are depicted on TV or in movies, yep. they're the heroes, they're yep. tough, they can yep. face enormous, dangerous fires. Yep. What does that feel like to you when you're depicted in that way?
1: I don't like it. Like most firefighters, we don't like it. We don't like to be looked at as heroes, our job is to protect our community and we treasure our community um, there's, there's uh, various fire stations dotted around and even there's six, six fire stations, that's what we call our patch and um, mentally we have a two four so we don't like another station coming onto our patch and when I say that we, we, we do that with jest and fun but that's the community that we serve um, it's our job and um, there's times where uh, the media play on it a little bit and that's fine, that's attracting readership but personally we don't like it. Um, you know, we're there uh, 24 hours 7 uh, when the bells go down we go to the job and we do it and we come home. Um, and we get satisfaction out of completing our job. Uh, sometimes uh, the incident doesn't go the way we want it and particularly if, it's, it's, if there's a death involved But we still have the satisfaction that we have helped someone that is in a predicament, um, and that's what it's all about.
0: Richard, thank you so much for talking to me, and also for the work that you do, despite the toll that it's taken on you as a person.
1: Thank you very much, and I hope a lot of people enjoy what we've discussed today. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to The Final Curtain. Ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. Podcasts from this series are available online at oar.org.nz and from the accessmedia.nz app. At Death Cafe Dunedin, the conversation continues. You can join that conversation by listening to other New Zealanders tell their stories about death. And, if you want to, by sharing yours. Look for Death Cafe Dunedin on Facebook for updates and meeting times. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.